Welcome to the Child Free Wealth Podcast, hosted by Bree and Dr. J, Certified Financial Planner. Here we discuss life and finances as it relates to being child free. This podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your advisor before implementing any ideas heard on this podcast. Hey, all you Child Free Wealth listeners, we are back in book club. So each month I've given Bree a book to read and kind of debate and work through. And we decided rather than us, you know, talking about it offline, we'd talk about it here on the podcast and let you listen in. So this month's book was Simple Path to Wealth. It is the one that I give to just about everybody who wants to understand investing, wants it's a good place to start, you know, and spoiler alert, if it's the only book you read, it probably is good enough for most things you do. I got some child-free spins on it, but that's okay. But uh, Bree, kind of tell us what's it about and you know what's the uh, highlight of the book? The book itself is more of like an instruction manual on how to invest and it gives you specific stock tickers to invest in. And it says, do this, this, and this. JL, JL Collins, the author of it, it started out by writing letters to his daughter and then he turned it into a book sharing his money mistakes that he's made and he wanted to share with other people because it was a blog and it became really popular. And so now he's like, all right, this is what I did. And this is how I achieved financial independence. So it really is, it reads like an instruction manual. So at times it is a little bit dry because of that, but it is good quality information and easy to understand. So does that mean we all have to adopt JL Collins as our dad? Is that kind of how this works? I mean, if you want to, I think I'll keep my dad, but if you'd like... I don't know. And, and by the way, Bree's underselling. I mean, the book is a phenomenal seller. He's had a lot mm-hmm. of luck with it. A lot of podcasts, different things. It's a lot of uh, core beliefs of kind of the fire community. It's kind of one of those, if you're just going to read one book, it's a good place to, to go. Um, so he starts off and he talks about, you know, hey, spend less than you make. And that mm-hmm. sounds weird. But like, that's the core of finance. I mean, I don't know. He, he had almost like spend the beginning of the book talking all about that. I mean, too much, too little. What do you think, Bray? Well, I think after people I've heard talk this weekend, it is not enough. Um, that is definitely the core of finance, but people forget that so easily. And I like the saying, money talks, wealth whispers, you know, you have to remember, in order to get wealthy, it doesn't mean blow your money and everything. You have to follow simple investing. And that, that's what this book really hits. And I liked it for that. Yeah, but it, that's going to be unpopular. I mean, let's be real on this. So if we're going to follow that path and say, all right, I'm going to spend less than I make, which, by the way, I'm kind of laughing mm-hmm. at him because like, that is like finance 101, spend less than you make. But it's countercultural because that's really going to his next step, which is get out of debt. But the the if we're going to do that, like we'd have to like put off buying stuff like the new car we want or the house or other things and spend unless we make it. And I don't know. Social media just doesn't agree with that. And I mean, do you think that's generational? I mean, is that just because JL Collins is dad talking to his kid? I mean, or is this I don't know. No, I think a lot of it has to do with the keeping up with the Joneses impact. And now, you know, it used to be for, well, Jay, for your generation, you didn't have a smartphone as a kid. 
wow. <laughs> she was like out of me like, hey, we still had a landline phone. I mean, like, exactly. we didn't even have a cell phone. Yeah. And so you didn't grow up seeing everybody. It used to be like the people you compare yourself to were the people next door. Whereas my generation, you know, I've had a cell phone since fifth grade. And I was, I don't know, 11, maybe, I think. So I've had a phone since then. And I've always been able to see, even if the person's right not next next to me, like what they're doing. And people from high school, even though I graduated high school like seven years ago, I can still see what they're doing. And it's easy to compare yourself to that, even though I haven't talked to them since we graduated and different things like that. So it you get trapped in this mindset and just a comparison and that makes you want to spend money. And then marketers like me have done a very good job of pushing the next latest and greatest thing. I mean, think about the Stanley water bottle. Everybody all of a sudden has like 40 of them and they're these $40 water bottles. Are you ever going to be drinking from 40 water bottles at the same time? No. But it gets pushed out on social media and you have to say, oh, you have this one or I have this one. And then you buy them and resell them. And it's very, very easy to get in that trap of constantly buying things, even if you don't need it. Okay. I have no clue what a Stanley water bottle is, but I guess that's just because I'm old and don't, and I'm not on social media. I mean, I, I don't have know the same cup been. that I've had for a long time, but. Uh, <laughs> wow, Jay, you really, you really show where you're where you're at because the Stanley water bottle is like the trend. Everybody has one and you can change out the handle. And I know somebody who has 40 of them, 40 water bottles. Yeah. They're the, all the exact same. The only thing that's different is the color. Water bottles. Yes. I'm still, I'm still in problems with this. Like and how, yeah. much, how much, does a, how much does a water bottle cost? $40, 40, 40, 1600 hours in water bottles. Yeah. And you can resell them at an even higher value. So some people will sell them. Well, people will buy them. They'll sell them for like a hundred bucks. Are these the new Beanie Babies? I mean, you know, that's what I grew up with is, you know. I do not know. Okay. So we could go down a path here because that's the whole point is like, he's like, look, don't spend money on shit. Don't. Yeah. Garbage. Exactly. (laughs) I mean. I don't, I do not have one. I have one that looks like similar that I bought years ago, but you don't need that. Like you just don't. I, I don't know. I'm going to have a problem. I'm going to have to look up these water bottles. I'm like, you know, whatever's the cheapest that works. But I mean, his point is right. You first, you got to start living on less than you make. And people go, well, but I'm paycheck to paycheck. That's because you're buying stuff. You know, so I'll do this uh, exercise with people. We lay out. What they must, should, could, and won't spend money on. Must are kind of like everything, keep the roof over your head, basic needs. Everything else is wants. And we'll get to the end of it and be like, okay, we've budgeted everything. And that means you're spending $1,000 a month on your stuff. And by the way, $1,000 is actually low, but let me use that as an example. And they're like, well, but I needed this. And then I'll be like, no, you bought that on Amazon because you wanted it. That does not mean you need it. Now, I'm not judging. Like, you can spend your money however you want. But to say, hey, I need, well, we already took care of the basic needs of clothing, food, water, utilities, like everything else is stuff. And in order to make progress on money, you have to start putting money away. Now, people go, well, but housing is really expensive. And I'm with them on that. Okay, housing right now is broken. Depending on where you live, you may have very little room in your budget. But 
at the same time, you might be able to live somewhere cheaper if you're willing to make some sacrifices. Just say it. Uh, you might be able to make some adjustments. You might be able to pick up some more income. You've got to have some room in your budget if you're going to make any progress. The other part of it is debt's eating that away. So that's the second part you get to the book is get out of debt and stay out of debt. Now, at the same time, you know, he, you know this this is not new novel. I mean, you know, this is the same Ramsey, Susie Orman, get out of debt routine. Anything jump out at you in the book on getting out of debt? Not really as far as getting out of debt because it all is very, you know, it's just very basic stuff that sucks. Like, it's not fun to be getting out of debt. It's just not. But it's important. And being patient and working through it is important. So Collins looks at it and starts talking about good versus bad debt. And he's a little bit more kind of willing to understand that some is good debt. I'm not. I'm just being frank on that. You know, I'm like, that's a marketing term. But he's saying, look, get out of debt, stay out of debt. Cool. Now, when it comes to this debate about debt versus investing, eh, he's kind of on the fence a little bit more than I am. I'm pretty clear. Get out of debt first, then invest. And that's okay. Like, we can fight over that a little bit. But he's not saying take debt out to invest. I mean, that's real simple. He's saying get out of debt, then do investing. You know, he's saying there's some good debt, bad debt. We can balance that out. I mean, what's your reaction, Bree? I think it's very hard to say that there's good debt when, you know, you have these, you sign up for something like a car, you get it, it's really exciting. And then you have these payments that follow you for years afterwards. And they're not fun. You want to be paying. I'll just use an example for myself. So we have a vehicle that was purchased a couple years ago and we're like working to pay it off now. It sucks. I hate that car payment every single month. Like I'm trying to get it gone because it is the most annoying thing in my life. It irritates the hell out of me. Do you want to keep having a car payment every single month for the rest of your life? I don't. I would rather be investing that money. That's fair. So most of the book, he dives into investing and investing strategies. And by the way, we are going to talk about this. Uh, We're going to talk about specific tickers in this case. I'll give you my two cents. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't invest in it. You talk to your financial advisor, your financial planner about that. But let's dive in. And if you've been in the FIRE community, at some point you've seen VTSAX and chill. That's simple path to wealth. That's that's Collins. That's, he gets credit for that. I mean, there's there's you know very few ideas where you like, give people credit. Yeah, that's him. What do you think, Brave VTSAX and chill? I think you need to do whatever you're comfortable with. This Okay, that was a weasel <laughs> way out. If you're good with that, go right ahead. I'm more of a three fund portfolio type of person. So that's my preference. All right, so let's get some clarity on this. VTSAX is Vanguard's total stock market mutual fund. You may have also heard of VTI. That is their uh, ETF version. I tend to go to the ETF version. He he goes in both. He's good with both. I'm good with that. Um, and then he goes, well, VTSAX has enough international co- exposure. Set it, forget it, because U.S. companies also invest internationally. Uh, I like more international exposure. That's what Bree's talking about, a 3 fund portfolio being 
the whole U.S., the whole world stock market and some bonds, that is still same kind of principles. I mean, Collins, I mean, the, the, the three fund portfolio still comes out of the Bogle world of Vanguard. Still we're in the same, like, it's like we're fighting over cars. Like, I like the red one or the black one. Like, it's not a huge difference. It's optimizing. And when he says, well, the simple path, Valve, you know, just buy VTSAX and chill. I can't argue that that's a simple way to do it. Yeah, it is easy because you're only buying one. You don't have to think about it. You know, and he talks about if you only have target day funds, use target day funds. I'm good with that. And you know, we have a whole series on on investing. You're going to find that we're not too far off. I think um, there's a question. And he talks about balancing bonds and not, and, you know, on is it going to get you a slightly better return, especially in 80, 20, 90, 10? Maybe. And, that's, and he acknowledges that. But he's also just like, I'm good with VTSAX and chill. And like, I guess I'm on a podcast and I should be like throwing stones and yelling and screaming about how he's got it wrong. Nah, close enough. I mean, seriously. Like, sir, some people get into finance and we get these hyper optimizations where we're fighting over tenths of a point. You know what? In your life, I don't think that really matters. Now, is it most optimized? I don't know. And the reality check is you only know what's best optimized 40 years down the road after you run the plan. I mean, it's all guesses. I mean, I don't know. What'd you take out of his investing stuff? What jumped out at you and said, hey, this is what I should do? I really liked how he made it approachable for anyone because I wish I would have read this book starting out. And I just didn't. I had heard of it, but never even touched it. And I think if you're just getting started, it is very easy to pick it up and be like, okay, now I have a bit more confidence in investing. And I like how it's essentially step-by-step. And he explains why he uses Vanguard and the founding of Vanguard and all of that. Not just saying, oh, go use Vanguard, go buy this. He just goes more in depth with it. So that was really helpful. I think it's a good instruction manual for beginners, beginning investors. And honestly, if you're investing now to an event in it for a while, you can still follow it because it makes it easy. You don't have to get fancy. Yeah. The book came out, I don't know, almost like a decade ago. I think it was 2013-ish, something like that. Yeah. And uh, I think so. it's interesting because some things in finance age well and some things don't. This is aged pretty well. And, you know, I'll talk about, you know, do you want your investments to be sexy or do you want them to work? He's with me. Want them to work. They don't need to be sexy. He's literally talking about buy one fund and call it a day. You know, and there's some adjustments as you get a little older in age and some things. Okay, fine. I'm good with all that. Um, I think the hard part is people get like so worried about, am I investing right? Do I have it perfect? Ah, Spend less than you make, get out of debt, put it in a fund and set it, forget it. I'm okay with that concept. You know, and there's some debates in, in the book. And you'll, when we, when you, if you haven't gone there, we've got a series on investing coming out and we go deep into understanding what you invest in, how it impacts your financial plan, where to keep it. And he goes into the same type of concepts. Um, we have our own spin on it. It's okay. It doesn't really make a difference. You know, 
I'm with him. I like Vanguard because Vanguard, the people that own the funds own Vanguard. It's a very simple, cheap thing. But I'll tell you right now, their technology kind of sucks. Well, yeah. I mean, most financial technology well, sucks. But I mean, like they're 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 pretty pretty boring. It's, it's pretty ugly to look at, honestly. It's old. Okay, I mean, I don't <laughs> put a lot is. of time and effort into it. There's no fireworks coming out when you buy stuff. There's no fancy apps. No nothing. Yeah. Okay, but even like when we log in and we see it, like it just looks. I don't know. I don't like the look of Vanguard, which is a petty thing. I use Fidelity. I like how Fidelity looks better. Yeah. And and at the time, you know, Fidelity and Vanguard now are fighting over who's got cheaper fees. And I'm good with that. Like, keep on that fight. Like, you know, like, Mm -hmm. keep going. Um, There's some difference in how the companies are structured. And that's why he picks Vanguard. And that makes sense. Um, If if somebody asks me and they want to debate Vanguard or Fidelity, I'm like, cool. You like the one's got green versus red. I don't care. It's not going to make a difference on your portfolio. It's not going to make a difference in your outcomes. Um, it just depends on which structure you like. I think as he starts diving into things, you know, he starts kind of answering questions that he's gotten in his blog and other things. All in a good place. But really all he's saying is spend less than you make, get out of debt, VTSAX and chill. And he does that over an entire book. But I mean, that's like, mm-hmm. that's like, Am I missing anything from the book or is that it? No, that's it. He just repeats that over and over and over. It's It's not a bad thing to do. Yeah. Now, some of my kind of personal takes on this. I want you to figure out your life first before you just figure out an investing plan. That's just kind of one of my spins on it. Also, you know, if you haven't caught it yet, we did a uh, book club on Dive Zero. Changes some of your structure. Uh, just being child-free changes some of your finances. But most of the book will apply. And people kind of debate on this and go, well, do I need a financial advisor? Not if all you're doing is get out of debt, stay out of debt, VTSX and chill. Now we can talk about taxes, insurance, a bunch of other life stuff, long-term care, you know, how this fits. But from a core financial standpoint, if you read Simple path to wealth and just didn't read another financial plan, financial book. I think you're okay. You with me, Bree? Yeah, I agree. It was very, you know, cut and dry and to the point and got it. Like you can easily do that. And he does talk about different advisors in there and says he doesn't like them, which is, that's a fair argument. You know, you don't have to like them. I used to be on that train too. Now look at me now. I'm here. <laughs> well, I think. One of the things that he doesn't talk about is the difference. And he does talk a little bit about kind of you can buy somebody for hourly or something. You know, you can get a little help here and there. Cool. I think the advice only model, he would probably be more along with than, than what's in the book because it, it's really a new model. Um, his whole point is don't pay for simple investing. I agree with him. Yeah. You shouldn't absolutely. go to a financial advisor just for investing. That's why what we do is comprehensive financial planning. We do the whole thing. Um, and particularly talking about the difference with child-free folks. But if you want to just pick up the book, read it, and put everything in it, call it a day, I'm good with it. I mean, it, you know, yeah, let's make sure your will's there, beneficiaries, we got some insurance things, but I'm good in general. And people who read the book then go, well, then I never need a financial planner. You might not. I'm just yeah. being truthful. You might not. Now, that being said, what the book's good at is how to gain money. It's not necessarily good on how to spend money or how to deaccumulate your money. That's where 
I probably spend half my time with clients talking about like how to spend money rather than how to save. And that's where it shifts. I think also uh, the simple path to wealth has been embraced pretty heavily by the fire community. It doesn't fit a hundred percent, a hundred percent in the file community as much of, you know, how do I find that life balance of where am I going? And there's some different things. That's okay. That is just a academic debate. Um, I think it's okay for your finances to be simple and boring. And people read the book sure. and they're like, well, then what do I do when I get more money? The same thing. It can be that boring. Um, if you want to dive in deeper, you can go into, you know, uh, some of the some of the other books around investing that we'll get to, you know, the little common sense book of investing, random walk down Wall Street, some of those things. But you're going to come back to about the same solution. You're just going to have read a couple more books. Uh, and, and that's why his book works. It's literally the simple path. Uh, if you haven't read it, pick it up, read it or pick up the audiobook. The next book we're going to do, we're actually going to go into the classics range. We're going to end up going back to Napoleon Hill, Thinking Grow Rich. If you haven't read that one, fun historical book on motivation and thought process. And we're actually going to discuss how we make decisions for life, what matters, what doesn't. But we're also going to discuss how a lot of the stuff that Napoleon Hill was doing almost 100 years ago now um, influenced a lot of motivational things. I mean, you were just talking about social media. Half the stuff on TikTok and motivation actually just could have just been ripped out of the Thing Grow Rich book, at least. So we, we will pick up on that and go from there. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a rating or review. We'd love to keep the conversation going. Follow Child Free Wealth on social media or email us at podcast at childfreewealth.com. If you're interested in working together, learn more by visiting our website, www.childfreewealth.com. We'll see you next time.